I did. Yeah, I did uh, get to fly. What happened uh, between five years old watching Power Rangers mm-hmm. and flying? Uh, how does one become a features actor <laughs> in China, of all places? You're not from China. I'm not. From you're China. as far from China as you could be from. Yeah, I think Yet, we're almost antipodes. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. an actor in China. Yeah. <laughs> um, so flying. Uh, what what Todd means by flying is I recently did a show where we had to do a lot of like wire work where you know they hook you up in this very strong sort of jock strap looking device and then they hook you up to wires and they fly you around and pull you around all by over. the by jock strap they pulled you around by the jock strap like it's sort of like a podcasting is famously a visual medium imagine a, <laughs> a, a harness that's that's the proper word okay but it kind of looks a bit like a jock, jock strap of like how it hooks up to you in your like nether regions right. um, they have ones that hook up to your chest but because uh, for a lot of flying work if you're pulled by your chest it looks less natural than if you're pulled by your waist then it looks more like natural flying because it's in the center of your body that's exactly what being a freelance writer is like I'm yanked around by the jockstrap all the time <laughs> and then I have to hunt them down for the money mm, yeah. very similar very okay. similar always get paid up front yeah. so uh, how did I get started working in China because I'm not from there very 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 long story short uh, when I was studying acting at Nebraska Wesleyan University it's a liberal arts university and so because of that you have to study something that is not in your field you have to study something in religion something in the humanities, some sort of math class, a science class, and you have to do a language course for your gen eds. And I made a really dumb joke because at the time I was taking about 23 credits a week. And my professor, because we decided it would make more sense for me to get it done in this time frame, said, you know, you have to take a language course and that would be five extra credits. So what do you want to take? And I made a joke because obviously something easy would make more sense because I didn't want to lose my scholarship. And so I said, oh, you know, something easy in my head, thinking Spanish or French, but always making a dumb joke. I said, I'm just thinking about like taking Chinese. And then he also had a motive because this is the first time Mandarin was offered at my university. And it was a class at the time of only three people. And so he wanted to get as many students in there as he could. And so he says, oh, yeah, I think that'd be really good for you. I think that'd be great for you. And then because he, uh, Dr. J. Scott Chibben, he is a person that if he has confidence in you, you feel like you could literally conquer a mountain. And then he says, you know, like, that could be great for you. China has this amazing, like, burgeoning media sort of empire going on. They're rivaling Hollywood. They're rivaling Bollywood. If you get on the ground floor, who knows? You could be an actor in China someday. And then I said, okay, yeah, sure, why not? And then took it for a year. And surprise, it was fucking hard. Very difficult. And I didn't want to lose my scholarship, so I studied very, very hard. And my Did you have any basis in Chinese before that? None whatsoever. At all. Like, at all. I didn't know anything about the culture. I took Kung Fu for several years, but I didn't realize until after moving to China that Kung Fu was Chinese. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds so dumb, but it's true. I I just didn't know. I was from a village of about 200 people. And then, um, yeah, so I took Mandarin for a year. My teacher helped me out a lot with a lot of one-on-one private tutoring. And then I had to study abroad. Well, I didn't have to. I wanted to. And France and Italy were too expensive. And my professor says, well, why not Chinese? And then went over there, studied abroad for a year. 
then I went back to Nebraska and I realized, you know, all my friends are going to New York, LA, Chicago, and they're probably going to be working at Starbucks or Buffalo Wild Wings or here, Heather the Third Yawn and not acting. And so in my head, I said, I'll go to China first. Um, because I didn't want to lose any of my acting ability. I wanted to start working right away. And then, you know, once I build a big enough fan base to maybe go back to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that was eight years ago. And things are beyond my wildest imagination at this point. Yeah. Once you get established somewhere, not only is it <clears throat> kind of hard to adjust to going to somewhere else, but like you're there, your connections are there. And it's a lot of fun. I love writing internationally, and I, I still write in the states. But like, I prefer having a little bit, of my, a little bit of myself everywhere. Yeah, and it's also it's it, it's harder because you're you're so adjusted to how things work in this one place, and then because I've also done a lot of like collaborative projects between the U.S. and China, but I always work on the China side because they want me as like a cultural attaché, someone who speaks both languages. Mm-hmm. But then I realize like because of how I look, I. I am very much a basic, like, sort of white-looking dude. The American side always assumes that I work for the American side, but then the Chinese side, they all know me. And so I'm sort of in this weird middle point where I get consulted on a lot of things of, like, oh, I don't understand why the Americans are doing this this way. And me, I'm like, I don't really get it either because I've been here for eight years. All of my film experiences in China. I've done one movie with an American company and then everything else I've done in China. Did you do any, I mean, I guess working in theater in university you did stage I assume tons tons what what kind of stage roles did you take before you were a movie star um, <laughs> so because of the program that I did and this is this is an insane number but it's true this is a, this is a fucking insane number for anyone who has done uh, a theater program in the US after grad after leaving Nebraska Westland of four years of working there well three and a half I had about almost 50 different productions under my belt in three and a half years. Wow. It's, okay. it's stupid. They they have more performance days than they do days in the year because they have multiple theaters and so they overlap, right? So I've done a lot of like very, very different stage roles and I have a lot of experience with that but it was all crammed into these three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of... When I first got in there, I wanted to focus on sort of serious acting, whatever that is. So right. I did a lot of like experimental. Um, I did like a lot of Sam Beckett. I did like Waiting for Godot sort of stuff. I did a lot of like very odd things that wouldn't make money in the real world, but were very fun and like mm-hmm. artistically fulfilling. Um, I also did a lot of like Tennessee Williams. Uh, my sort of acting emphasis was in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I did tons of Shakespearean plays. And I would either play like a, a large caricature, like Grumio's assistant, or no, um, Grumio, who is the assistant of what's his face from Tamer Tam- Taming of a Shrew. My Shakespeare seminar was years ago. Oh, okay, the, um, <laughs> the sort of like the, the clown. I played the clown a lot. I think I no, I didn't fail. I clearly graduated, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I didn't pay so much attention after, like, ten plays. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot there. I played the clown a lot. Um, I always wanted to play the the male sort of ingenue, the lover, which I've done several times. But then after doing it once or twice, I kind of realized, wow, like, a lot of these roles are very similar. So then I wanted to do, like, the best friend or the, the more media roles. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of had the reverse. I studied literature, so I mm-hmm. should know the Shakespeare character. But I had to do some acting to graduate. Mm-hmm. So I always got a. Uh, roles like uh, in Angels in America, Rocky Horror, the, the really macho stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> My first professional gig after graduating university was Rocky Horror. Nice. What did you play? I played The Beautiful Creation. Nice. Yep, yep, yep. I was Frank, and then seven years later, I was Riff Raff when, oh, when the hair fell out. <laughs> Isn't that how it always goes? You know, you start off as, as Frank and end up as Riff Raff. That's... Is that your career advice? <laughs> <laughs> Show your balls, man. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. Yeah, out of that uh, stage, screen, uh, television, uh, well, you've done a lot of television. We'll talk about that in a minute. Top three favorite roles. Top three favorite roles. And uh, why? Are they a part of you? How did you embrace them? How did they embrace you? What was up with them? Okay, so there are two roles that I'm going to combine, but that's only because they exist like within the same time frame, and they're very similar to why I like them. Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> um, so there was this role, uh, this is a, for you deep theater nerds who may or may not be out there, um, there was a show called Jerry Finnegan's Sister, and then there's another show called This Is Our Youth. And in Jerry Finnegan's Sister, it's a it's usually shot, it's usually done, not shot, it's usually played in a black box sort of environment. And the entire show is one guy speaking to the audience all about how he's in love with his best friend's sister. And so all of it is like you have to make direct eye contact, you have to really talk to people, you have to like really engage these sort of individuals. And then in This Is Our Youth, it's sort of, it was literally in the same space and both of these shows were directed by two very close friends of mine and I got these roles as a sophomore which is like completely unheard of and my friend who did Jerry Finnegan's sister she approached me and I knew her since high school and she she told me she goes you know I like I have to do a senior project and there's really not much for me to gain out of this other than like you know me learning blah 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 but I want to do a show that shows off your ability because I think the theater department doesn't see it right now and so I was like I was, I was very flattered by this and I didn't really get the the how much this would really help me not only in the department but as an actor because when you're talking to an audience member one you're breaking the fourth wall but then if you're performing for a bunch of theater people the minute that you talk to somebody as a performer to someone in the audience they immediately are part of the performance and so they sometimes put on a sort of air like they're acting because they know people are watching them and so when I was doing this I had to break through that and give a very god this sounds so fucking masturbatory I had to give a very, like, as truthful performance as I could. And in doing that, I learned how to sort of, like, strip all the walls of acting and just be real. Like, just be a real person in that moment experiencing this. And this is the same with, with This Is Our Youth. And so I, I love those performances because they were probably the most real of anything that I've done at that time. Did you stick in the role? Was it method acting or... You know, these roles were very, like... I wouldn't really call it... I mean, when we say method acting... It's everyone sort of remembers like Heath Ledger or people who are rolled like, up like Brando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People sort of like think think of it that way, right? Mm-hmm. But like method acting is so much more than that. It's driving 
you have to like the the weird thing that people have in mind is like in order to play a quickie mart worker you have to work in the quickie mart mm-hmm. but really what method acting is supposed to be is like through your life experiences how can I relate to this character and give a truthful performance so like I don't have to have my mother die for me to be able to portray that on stage or in film I just have to have some sort of emotional access point to it so in that sort of regard it was method in the sense that I had to derive like real life emotions and bring this to, to the show okay but I wasn't like living the character all the time I wasn't actually in love with my with my friend you know yeah. Fun fact about Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. has never eaten human. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But I would have uh, thought. Yeah, years ago, though, I was on Joan Rivers' show. Mm-hmm. She actually has. Interesting. Never, never did. Oh. I, no. Oh, okay. Just, <laughs> I love the look, though. I know you can see that look at home. Yeah. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't shocked. And it, it, how, like, it's such an honor to be interviewed by someone who uh, has worked with Joan Rivers. Yeah. She interviewed me and I paid it forward, I guess. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, do, you, do you want two other roles that I've done? Yeah, found? yeah, of course. Um, I recently did a role that I really, 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 really love because it's so hard for foreigners to get this kind of role in China where um, it's similar it's, it is similar to other roles where I've played where in China I tend to play like the best friend to the leading male like golly gee willikers Li Yang how are we going to get out of this situation <laughs> I play that character all the time and you're China's lassie yeah exactly yeah or <laughs> uh, right, a better one would be is it Indiana Jones who has that sort of like kind of kind of racist sort of Chinese sidekick Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of like I'm closer to that that sort of character. You're the uh, you're the you're the Guaylo version of that. Basically. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so like this role, the reason I bring it up is it's done by a director called Guanghu, who is very very well known in China. And I worked with him about six seven years ago. And they called me up and they said, "Hey, we have this role. Originally, he's sort of like this really bad guy, and he's he's just sort of like that's his description. He's like a bad Western dude." But we want to flesh this out and have a more in-depth sort of portrayal. We want him to be more relatable, more lovable. And we want him to be very cute. So we're, we're bringing you in on this. And when I got that description, I imagined it was sort of like a comedy. And then now that, like, now that I've done it and I read through the script, it's, it's a story about mystical grave robbing. And it's like one of the most... It's one of the most popular like fantasy books ever published in China. It's a series called Gui Chui Dong, uh, which is from a bigger anthology called Xiao Shuo. And the reason I like this is because he had a lot of emotional depth to him. He had he was constantly terrified. He was put into a lot of situations where he would just be emotionally devastated and have to like cry his eyes out. And the reason I say that this is very rare for a Westerner to have in China is because a lot of times we are treated as sort of props in the background, not dissimilar to Asian American actors working in Hollywood in the 1950s up to the 1980s, and sometimes arguably even now. I always think of it like the uh, the guy in The Host. You've seen The Host, right? The Korean film about the monster grows in the Han. No, no, I haven't. Oh, the first guy. And I think about this whenever I think about you working. Mm-hmm. The first guy to go and say, I'm going to kill the monster mm-hmm. is this... Just 
white dude looks like an English teacher, like in probably 1999, spiky hair and cargo shorts. And he grabs a parking sign and goes to attack the monster and gets killed. And all the Koreans are like, he shouldn't have done that. Like, yeah. yeah, but of course it's the foreigner. Yeah, like, that, that's a lot of <laughs> these roles that exist in Asia. And I, I love it. No complaints. Yeah. It's hilarious. Well, and, and, it, and it makes sense because, like, I mean, these are a lot of these roles that do exist in Asia. And I mean, you got to look at like who's writing the scripts, right? It's the same, right. it's the same in Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's only been up into the past couple years where, I mean, okay, the lat like aside from Crazy Rich Asians, the last show that had an all Asian cast or like had Asian predominant leads and Asian focused stories were the Joy Luck Club. Right. And that was 25 years ago. Yeah. And so when we flip it on its head and we're over here, like, yeah, you have an entire, like it's for a Chinese audience. It's Chinese directors, Chinese videographers, scriptwriters, everybody. So like, yeah, of course they like, they don't need a white savior. They know how to save themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I really appreciated about this role because it wasn't like a typical white dude who was completely helpless or anything like that. It was someone who, like, he had emotional depth. He was a fully fleshed out mm-hmm. character. Um, there were a lot of scenes that were added in. And a lot of directors that I work with, I rarely play the bad guy. Very rarely. I played the bad guy once in my entire career. Mm-hmm. And usually they end up booking because they're like, oh, we want a funny white dude. Okay, cool. I go to the audition. They're like, okay, yeah, this guy's great. And then it's always a casting director who puts you in. But then when you're working with the director, then they're like, oh, I really want to explore this character. I want to go more in depth about that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like this. I was able to really flush him out. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, the way that people like us have been portrayed in film over here has been completely fair. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of people came over thinking that this was their stomping ground or their playground and, mm-hmm. and uh, as such created that impression starting from the time of the military invasions over here and occupations and mm-hmm. moving into like, okay, there are more foreigners coming over and mm-hmm. we didn't leave a good impression. And I think that those of us who are sticking around are trying to change that and mm-hmm. it's paying off in roles like this, I think. Yeah. And like we, you know, we are trying to change it, but when you look at the people who are qualified to be doing what they're doing is a lot smaller than the amount of people who are doing jobs that they are not qualified for. Right. Like I know some people who are principals of English teaching centers that they have started up on their own. And I'm like, man, you are so underqualified to be teaching, Mm -hmm. to be teaching the babies. You can't be teaching the babies like this. What are you doing? But because like they have this sort of Western look, like they get these jobs. Yeah. Kind of like how in Taiwan, there's not a, uh, single good or qualified editor of a major English newspaper. They've all just been here 20 years. Yep. They'd never be journalists back home. Yeah, never. And, uh, I hope they're listening. Mm-hmm. But, well, uh, <laughs> and, and I know some actors who, you know, they, they've done a good amount of roles, but, like, they would never work. They would never, ever work in a country where English is a native language. Mm-hmm. But because the supply and demand is so different, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, well, this is, like, good enough, you know? Like, I yeah. got, and this is what we have to work with. I'm not an actor, and I've been pulled for commercials here. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm just... 
a big ugly white guy. <laughs> it happens all the time. But then also, like the the good thing about it for me and where I personally benefit is, you know, I am qualified. I have this background, yeah. and because of that, I'm able to ask for a nicer amount of money. And then I also like get more. Uh, I'm well enough known um, that. I don't have to take certain roles that I normally would have taken when I first started out. What are you known as? Um, like for certain roles or like what, what's my brand? Your your brand, your name. My name. Yeah. Um, I am known as Zuoyo, which means left and right because I have left and right tattooed on my feet in Chinese, and um, it's a good name and it's stuck really well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would say my brand, like the idea of Zuoyo and how he exists in Chinese media is um, the a grown man who never really grew up. They always call me like uh, a like a, a, a big a big kid. Or they call me like the little angel because I have like this curly hair, I have these dimples. And so I look very much what they think in their mind is a typical American, you know, blonde hair, lighter color eyes, lighter color skin. And I'm also very cutesy on a lot of shows. And then when it comes to acting and stuff, I've been very specific in a lot of roles that I've taken where I didn't want to play this sort of like lascivious foreigner who comes over and is just like trying to sleep with as many women as possible. Right. Because that's very much an idea of what a lot of people from Eastern countries tend to think of people from the West, typically men as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roll three. Roll three. You combine two, so I'll I can, let you I can, I can, if you I, want to. I combine two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to think because I like I'm so into that role. Okay, there's this other role that I worked on from a TV show called Feng Ren Yuan, or the the Crazy House. I think is is what it's <laughs> called in English, and this is. I really love this show because I mentioned it before. It's uh, this sort of combination of X-Men meets CSI. And I played, once again, the best friend to the main character, but I was the guy in the chair. I was sort of like the tech genius. Mm-hmm. And so he's like this really like socially awkward sort of like guy who he can talk really well with his friends, but he can't really talk to anybody else so well. And so it, it was very funny because it, it flipped the idea where like the guy in the chair in the West is typically like an Asian dude, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like a Western dude. When I was talking with the director, he was like, oh, well, you know, because like, you know, Western people are really good at technology. I, I, thought, <laughs> I, I thought that was so funny. <laughs> and also the director gave me a lot of like free reign to do what I wanted with the character because he was like, yeah, we don't really have much to him. He's only like in a couple scenes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you did your audition, I really liked it. So we only have like four episodes written. So if you if you really flush this guy out, you could be in the rest of it Mm -hmm. and the role changed entirely from how it was written to now it's going to be included in season three seasons four seasons five and six Mm -hmm. where originally i was supposed to betray the main character but then he was like no i really like this character i want to have him back Uh and what they also did was originally they gave me the script in english and then they would have me sort of like change it so it made more sense but then they just started giving me the scripts in chinese and like Mm -hmm. this is the idea say whatever you want Mm -hmm. which was so fun so fun. Where were you living at that time? At that time, um, I was living in Beijing, but we were filming in, um, outside of Chengdu. So, 10 minute drive? Outside Chengdu or Beijing to Chengdu? Beijing to Chengdu. Beijing to Chengdu on the high speed railway, just about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, 
Yeah, it's a hard town to get around. Um, but where have you been recently? Where have I been recently? Um, so I just got back from uh, a trip to Beijing where I was out there filming. I was about an hour outside of Beijing, filming there for about a month. And then um, now I'm back in Taipei. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow, Where you're living at the moment. Yeah, I'm currently living in Taipei. Right? Yeah, I decided to uh, move out here, uh, see what it's like. Taipei is a city that I've always wanted to live in. And, um, you know, I am from a small town in Nebraska, and I've always wanted to live in a place close to the ocean. What's the, uh, what are the differences between Beijing and Taipei? Beijing and Taipei? Um, let's see. There's a lot less people here in Taipei. Uh, the, the weather is so much better because we're, you know, a 30-minute metro ride away from the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us a lot of breezes that come in. Uh, rains a lot here. It <laughs> rains so much. Um, a lot of really high-quality seafood. Uh, the, the water quality here also, this sounds so stupid, but the water quality, like when you take a shower is a lot better. Um, because I've never heard of that. Uh, Why? Is it hard water in Beijing or? Okay. That's absolutely hard water. They, they don't, they don't, they treat it to a degree, but, um, you know, there's only so much that you can treat because I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a massive city. There's, it's one of the biggest in the world. How many people were there? Um, I think the official count is somewhere around 22 million, but I think unofficially it's somewhere close to like 27, 28. That is 10 to 15 times the size of here. Yeah. It's massive. We have about 2 million downtown, 6 million metro. It's massive. Um, And I mean, I, I love, I absolutely do love Beijing, but it's just, it's been changing a lot lately. It's not the same Beijing that it was when I moved there. And some of these things are really good. Like the, the air quality, the pollution quality has gotten so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, the city is also gotten massive like it's so big like to get from one side to the other even on the metro takes about an hour and you know a lot of people that I sort of grew up with in Beijing aren't there anymore so it's just not right it's just not what it was Sometimes a city will stop feeling like home, and you just need something new. Yeah, that's the way I felt about Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I go back at least like once a month, you know. Yeah. And for I, work, you're I, going back tomorrow. Yeah, I fly back what tomorrow. What will you be working on then? Um, a very, very good friend of mine uh, who was on the podcast before, uh, Vlad Sherman. He and his partner um, Celeste have written a sitcom, and they're um, they're shooting a pilot. And so they asked me if I would come and be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go do that. I'm very excited. It's their first sitcom that they've put together and um, it's it's also it's, it's really fun because I think a lot of people who do the arts um, suffer from imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and I am one of those as well and I sort of forget like I, I say it a lot like I've been working as an actor for 14 almost 15 years mm-hmm. but I forget like what that really means you know like I've brought friends to auditions who have never acted before and then they ask me like oh I don't really know how to do this and I'm like just read the line right, right. yeah and I, and I, I don't mean to be a dick about <laughs> it it's like, just read Natural, but at the same time, it's just this thing you've been doing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But then you say acting's my job, and you feel like a complete fucking liar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like because yeah. there, there was one, there I was coaching a friend through a scene, and I was like, "Oh, I think you're supposed to cry here," and then they were like, "Oh, cry! Like how? Like what? How am I going to do that?" I'm like, "Just, just cry, just cry." And they're like, "How do you cry?" I'm like, "Well, I just do it." Think about your dad. <laughs> people always tell you to do that. People, really? all, yeah, they like what people who aren't actors, they're always like, oh, I think about my grandma dying. Okay. But if you study method 
acting and like the the idea behind method acting is you're never supposed to think of your grandmother dying. You're supposed to think of how you felt when your grandmother died. Okay. And then you use the feeling of that emotion, not the memory, the feeling of the emotion to access the physical mechan- mechanisms that cause you to cry. The breathing heavy, the your eyes were generally open, like you access the physical emotion mm-hmm. and then you trigger yourself into crying and then hopefully you can use the emotions that you're experiencing as the actor, as the character into crying. Because if you think about your grandmother crying every time you need to cry, eventually you don't care about your grandmother crying, dying. And that harms you as an individual. You as Todd, you as Zach. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what do you do if you can't stop crying? Uh, what I usually do when I can't stop crying is, and this has happened several times. It actually happened a lot. Everybody who's not an actor has left at this Yeah, point. yeah, they're just like, ah, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> what do you mean you can't stop crying? Just stop crying, you yeah. wiener. <laughs> I, uh, so the last show that I was working on, there were these scenes where, like, you know, someone dies in, in, in an incredibly dramatic way. Like, there's this one character loses both of his legs, and it's my character's fault. And um, so I was, like, crying in this scene, right? And then I get done, and I sort of, like, can't stop. But I'm no longer emotionally affected. It's just my body sort of going through the emotions. And so when I did, like, in order to stop crying, what I did was just sort of, I talked to the onset director. I was like, hey, like, I need a moment. And then they were like, yeah, no, we, we get that. Like, take a moment. So I go outside, like, have a drink of water, maybe have a coffee, just sort of sit down by myself and just sort of calm down. Mm-hmm. Right. And coming up to the tail end of my questions here. I didn't realize we've been going for about, what, 40 minutes? Have we really? Oh, my God, time flies. Something like that, yeah. My editor's going to hate it. (laughs) How does acting fit into everyday life? Here's another 20 minutes. Ooh, yeah. How does acting (laughs) fit into everyday life? It... How does it fit into everyday life? Um, I think a lot of people would assume that, like, you know, you don't want to be friends with actors because they can always, like, sort of fake emotions. I find that to be very sociopathic. I don't do that. I would say a way that it... A way that I might be sort of acting or putting on a mask, I'm doing air quotes for the people at home, um, is because I generally operate constantly in Chinese. And so a lot of times, like... uh, Do you ever act in English? Rarely. Okay. Very rarely. And so sometimes, because how people convey emotions can be a bit different, or like how people do jokes. So I've been accused by a lot of friends of when I speak Chinese, sometimes it comes off as very performative. And I mean, absolutely fair enough. Because the most time that I do speak Chinese, I'm usually at work. Mm-hmm. And I learned the majority of my Chinese through work. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I could be performing in that sort of way. Um, there are other instances like, you know, there have been friends of mine. I don't know if I have done this, where maybe I've been pulled over by a police officer because I was speeding and I wanted to get out of a speeding ticket. So I would, you know, like conjure up the emotions to like cry or like give some sort of sob story, which that could be a bit sociopathic. But, you know, like I think a lot of people cry to get out of speeding tickets. Right, right. It does. You never show your tits. Never show my tits. Very rarely, very rarely. Because, like, my bra is usually unwashed. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, I think 
other ways, um, sometimes if I'm getting very introspective, I'll sort of like watch and see how people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'll sort of take that back as a bit of a performance. Now that I've been doing it for a while, I don't think it really affects a lot of daily daily sort of interactions. It has ruined my ability to watch movies and TV. Okay. <laughs> like, because I'll watch stuff and I'll be like, oh, they should have done this. Or, right. or I'll be watching and I'll say, like, oh, wow, that was a really interesting camera trick. Or like, I can wow, see where his jock strap flew. Yep, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, like, I don't do that sort of thing of, like, you know, crying in front of friends or trying to emotionally manipulate people because that's sociopathic behavior. If you did, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Yeah. But I, 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 I would never do you're that. So you know? talented, <laughs> you're so talented. You're just constantly manipulating everybody around you. We don't even fucking know it. All the time. All the time. I'm actually, uh, I actually am from China, surprisingly. I'm just, like, wow. I'm so method. And, like, the prosthetics are really good that you just can't tell. They did a great job. They did an amazing job. Let's wrap it up. I had one more, but you kind of answered it already. Where can we find your work? What are you doing? What's coming up? Any last thoughts? So you can definitely tune in to the Expat Chit Chat Show, which if you're listening to this now, thank you for already doing that. I'm your host, Todd Williams. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Please like and subscribe and also leave us a really good rating. That's very important to us. Other than that, you can generally find me on Instagram at z.ireland. I interact with a good amount of people on there. If you have access to Chinese social media, you can look me up as Zoyo and then Zach Ireland or just Zoyo and I'll be the first thing that pops up there and as far as other work goes you can check out Feng Ren Yuan on Yoku uh, which is a very fun series I'm very very proud of I also did a very long stint on a TV show called Vision Shihui Tan but again these are all Chinese language based programs so if you don't speak Chinese or have no interest in learning then that might not be something that you're into you can check out Sheng Si Shui Fu or The Blood Chit, C-H-I-T, The Blood Chit. That was a series I did uh, for my scenes are in English. And then um, uh, there is a a very fun show called On the Wings of Eagles. It was a movie shot with Joseph Fies that we shot in China, and it's predominantly um, English movie. It went to the Cannes Film Festival, and it also aired in New York and LA. You can check that out. Not my proudest movie, but I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. I liked being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Not very good, but I liked being a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoying it counts yeah. for a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very fun. Yeah. yeah, other than that, I think that's enough resources people can go out and look. You can also look up Zoyo on Baidu or on Google. Zach, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us here on the Expat Chit Chat. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Expat Chit Chat show. This is the end of season one, but we are doing season two. So, you know, we have that to look forward to in a couple months, probably. (laughs) We're going to take a short break and then, um, yeah, we're going to get started on that. Cool. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks again, Todd.